to be with you tonight. We wish we were really with you tonight, but we're glad to be with you this way. And uh, we were just talking a little bit about, you know, this summer. We've been talking about this summer for a long time. In fact, we start talking about the next summer, you know, right right when the last summer ends. And, uh, you know, I just thought maybe this is, this is joy, by the way, uh, for those of you that um, have been around the weeks that we've been there in the last couple of years. You know, Joy, uh, who helps lead uh, worship. And I'm Nathan, uh, like David said. And we've been here in Southern California for 14 and a half years, uh, serving a church called Trinity. Uh, we're in the port of Los Angeles, so we're actually in the city of Los Angeles, but right on on the port, kind of facing Long Beach. We can almost see Long Beach uh, down from our backyard here. And uh, so, but we're so glad to be together here. But I was just thinking we'd talk a little bit about the summer, like how we're thinking about the, the summer, because I know we're thinking a lot about how, how what's going to be different. And it's exciting to hear that worship is going to be resumed on Sunday mornings. Uh, I wish we could do that here. We're not quite there yet here. Uh, but you want to share just a little bit? Yeah, of well, we've been, we've been kind of chatting with our kids about, you know, that we're still going and, you know, it's possible it will look different than it has in years past. And, you know, at first there was kind of some feet dragging and like, well, I don't want to go if we don't get to do everything we always get to do. And so, you know, we've had these talks as a family and we've kind of come to the idea that uh, looking towards this summer, if we have an opportunity to be at Mount Carmel for a week, we want to be there no matter really what it looks like. You know, there's still things that we love there. There's people we love there. It's a place our family connects with each other, connects with God, and um, enjoys nature, and, and just uh, some of those lovely things, and uh, so that's that's kind of where we're at as a family. I don't know if some of you families have been talking through, what would it look like if we don't, you know, get to, you know, have sleepover in our cousin's cabin, or this sort of thing, um, so anyway, we, we, we've kind of been wrestling through it, like maybe some of you have, and we've all come to the place where, like, of course we're going to go. It's where we love to be for a week every summer. So yeah, that's and we're, we are. we're grateful too, of course, for Mount Carmel's kind of flexibility of, of being willing to go forward with the summer. And um, even even if the if it's the most limited version, we think it's really worth it. Um, and anything that's added to that limited version, we're like, that's right. just going to be gravy. So uh, we're, we're excited to be there, like David said, the last week in July. Uh, one reason we're really excited is because our best friends, uh, you know, and my favorite preacher in the whole world is going to be joining us, Dave Wallen and Andrea Wallen. And uh, it's it's just the it is really the highlight of our family's life um, is to be at, at Mount Carmel during during that week. And we're going to be looking at something called Ready for Vision. <laughs> we were thinking about maybe changing it because almost all the vision talk has gone out the window because any, nobody saw, you know, this coming for all of our talks about 2020 vision. It's not really the focus of what I'm going to be sharing anyway is, um, is developing a vision or something like that, but really the environment by which we can experience revelation and seeing really um, with God's eyes what he has in store uh, for us. So we're looking at some gifts that God uses to help with that gifts like God's word and prayer and community and Sabbath. And then the spiritual gifts that the, that the scriptures talk about. So really uh, I'm, I'm excited even about, about the theme with that too. Do you mind praying for me, Joy? Sure, as sure. we start to, and she's going to go order some dinner because it's just about dinner time here. The Lord, we do thank you for this opportunity to connect and 
hear from your word all um, across this country and in in a new way tonight with people that we love, but um, across Zoom and across Facebook, Lord, we thank you um, that we are your family and the body of Christ. And I pray that you would give Nathan your words tonight, that he would um, really share from his heart and your heart uh, words right from the scripture tonight. So we ask you to bless him, Lord, and fill him with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joy. All right. Well, tonight we are going to look at uh, scripture. I want to look at the psalm, actually. Uh, this this previous Thursday was Ascension Day, and maybe some of you in your churches observed Ascension Sunday or the Sunday after Ascension today. And one of the psalm options was Psalm 47. And so I'd invite you, if you have your scriptures, to open up to Psalm 47. Uh, it's a royal psalm. Um, and uh, it is, it, it's, it's a, it's a, you'll hear the royalty actually in it. And um, the, the theme today is 10 days to reorient everything because the 10 days really inclusive of, of uh, Ascension Day, Thursday, 40 days after Jesus' resurrection to Pentecost Sunday really does reorient us in two specific ways I want to talk about. It reorients us from looking backwards to forwards and it also reorients us from looking inward to outward. Um, Ascension helps us, instead of looking back, it helps us look forward. And Pentecost, instead of looking inward in uh, kind of a um, protective kind of defensive way as a church, helps us to look outward uh, in a missionary way at what's going on in the world around us. I was thinking maybe to get some interaction, you might put in the comments section of uh, Facebook tonight. What's your favorite um, hymn or song for Ascension through Pentecost? It could be a Holy Spirit kind of song. It could be uh, today at our church, we sang Alleluia, sing to Jesus, that I asked for it. It was a request from the pastor to sing Alleluia, sing to Jesus. But I'm curious what your favorite um, Ascension day to Pentecost season songs are. Maybe you just stick it in the comments section. Could be a brand new song, could be an old hymn, uh, could be an ancient chant even of the church. The church has even been chanting Pentecost uh, litanies for years, like Veni Sancte Spiritus. And so jump in uh, in in, uh, in commenting on your favorite Ascension to Pentecost hymn or song. Um, but then let me read Psalm 47. It's to the choir master, a psalm to the sons of Korah. Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared. He's a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that there's light in your word. I pray through your spirit, you'd breathe out light to us and reorient us tonight. Reorient us from looking back to looking forward. Reorient us from looking inward to looking outward through Jesus Christ, 
our Lord. As I was thinking about the, the context of this psalm, which is probably the, um, the going up of the king to Jerusalem, uh, that there was an image that came to me of the royal wedding that happened two years ago, just about two years ago, here in the middle of May, uh, when Meghan Markle uh, married uh, Prince Harry. And we know there's been a lot of drama in the last two years in their life. Uh, but I was thinking about uh, Bishop Curry, who gave, I thought, such a great uh, sermon at the, at the royal wedding. There was a gospel choir. Uh, it, to me, it was perfect for an enthronement. It was perfect for uh, a royal wedding. It made me think about uh, a, a, you know, a story I heard once of a nervous bride. She was um, wondering where to look. You know, she was kind of an awkward person. She didn't know. She was talking to the wedding coordinator and said, where do I look, you know, when I'm in the back and when I'm going forward and when I'm in the front? Am I supposed to be looking around at the people? And the wedding coordinator says, here's what you do. When you're in the back of the church, uh, I want you to look at the aisle. And then she said, when you get to the middle of the sanctuary, I want you to gently, gracefully raise your eyes to the altar. And then when you get up about three quarters of the way, I want you to lock eyes on him, on your, on your groom. Um, and, uh, so she was going over it and over it in her head, trying to get it, get it right. And the, the crowd was really nervous when they heard the bride mumbling, I'll alter him, I'll alter him. Uh, it was a, is a misunderstanding. Of course, one thing that's really hard about preaching on a screen is I can't hear your groans and your moans when I give a, a stupid joke. So, uh, you'll just have to put it in the comment section. Um, there's this orientation that the bride, uh, you know, was looking for. Where do I look? And I, I really feel like Ascension and Pentecost together, these 10 days, really help reorient the church. In fact, we see in the book of Acts that it was during that time that Jesus actually said to the church to wait. He said, wait for the promise of the Father. And they were waiting expectantly. They were waiting like a... a, a, a you know, a childbirth was coming. They were waiting like a due date was was on its way. And then, as we know from reading uh, the scriptures, Shavuot, the, the, the Sabbath of Sabbaths, you know, the seven times seven with the capping day of the 50th day, Pentecost, uh, indeed, the, the Spirit came and talk about a reorientation that happened to the church when, when the Holy Spirit came. Last week, I loved hearing from my friends Johan and Sonia Hinderley and their ministry, Ground Up Grace. I've been enjoying listening to their podcast almost every day uh, as they have kind of their way of banter and brings us really into the dynamic, I feel like, of prayer. For them, husband and wife, but really husband and wife and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as we recognize we're living in this. And on Ascension Day, on Thursday, I love what Johan and Sonia said. They said, we're not looking back. We're not going back. We're going forward. We're not restoring the past, but we're looking ahead to the future. Um, we're, we're looking from just Israel to the nations. Um, and I, I did just a little background information. It's not going to be in depth, but Psalm 47 is um, read. It's interesting to me. It's uh, read in Israel's lectionary and in, in Judaism's lectionary. It's read on Rosh Hashanah, which is the uh, new year, the crown of the year. Um, it's that reorienting time when one year is coming to an end and that day of Yom Kippur is, you know, looking backwards really and, and recognizing that all of our sin has come under uh, the grace of God. 
Yom Kippur uh, is, the, is the crown of this new year, and it's a reorienting from looking back to looking forward. And what does it come with? It comes with trumpets. It comes with the shofar. You blow the, the ram's horn, which is the exact Hebrew word that um, the psalmist used when he says, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a shofar, with the sound of a trumpet. One thing I didn't know is on Rosh Hashanah, I've joined actually right across the street from our church's Temple Bethel, and I go over every once in a while for Sabbath or for some other uh, for some other celebrations at, at Temple Bethel. And I love, every time I've gone there, just uh, my, my jaw drops, really, entering into the, the wonderful brothers and sisters in our Jewish faith. Uh, but on Rosh Hashanah, what they do is they read this psalm, Psalm 47, seven times. So I'm going to do that now. No, I'm not. Uh, but you, the one reason the commentator said that they might read it seven times is because seven times the name of God, Elohim, is used in this psalm. It's the fullness of the the name of God and the fullness of his purposes, the fullness of his character are really symbolized in that repetitive uh, name. Uh, but it, it, Psalm 47 is a happy new year psalm. It's a reorienting psalm. It's a, it's a new creation kind of psalm. Uh, and so I want to just look at three, three things about, uh, about uh, this psalm and then about Ascension Day because it's also the psalm for Ascension Day, which in some ways could be a new year. There's a new season that comes when Jesus leaves us as, as we knew him, flesh and blood walking around on earth to flesh and blood in heaven. Does that mean that he's absent from us? Does that mean that uh, he doesn't keep his promise that I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you? Or is he keeping his promise in a much more cosmic way, in a more new creation kind of way? And of course, that's what, that's what I believe. If you, if you look with me, first of all, my first point is ascension means a previous descension. For God to go up, it must mean that God came down. Uh, and, and the, the scriptures talk about this frequently in Isaiah 31 4. It says, the Lord of hosts will come down. And Micah 5 2 says, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. The New Testament's rich, of course, but John 1 especially, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the person of Jesus, we see that God has come down. God has pitched his tent in our neighborhood, made himself available, made himself known to us. And I love John 1, just as it spells it out. We heard him, we touched him, we saw him. Uh, he wasn't just in the appearance of humanity, but he was actually human. God put on flesh and dwelt among us. The ascension of God means his previous descension. And we, we see that in, in verse four through five through seven, especially God has gone up with a shout. If God has gone up with a shout, doesn't it also mean that at some time he came down? This is part of the, the, the character of God that we see in not only the ascension, but what comes before the ascension in his incarnation and in God's putting on flesh to live with us, what we call kenosis or the self-emptying of God, where God did not, like Paul says in Philippians 2, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he took the form of a servant and he was found in human likeness that God has come down. God has come down. 
we see leaders in our own life and we ourselves are people who who want a lot of authority and we want a lot of uh, credit, but we don't want the responsibility that comes with it. And we definitely don't want the blame. Um, we see it all around us, people who want to be in charge, but without any blame. Man, if you want to be a leader, that is not the job description for you. It, not only does it come with authority and responsibility, it usually comes with blame, you know, and the buck stops here. You could put that desk, put, put that, uh, put that on your desk. What we see in Jesus is something so different, a, a God who has emptied himself of, of uh, his rights. He's emptied himself of his rights uh, to, to, um, to, to have his place, uh, you know, in the heavens and in, in, in a sweet communion with the, the Father and the Spirit. He's emptied himself uh, and, and, and um, he's taken the form of a servant. Uh, and what's amazing to me is he's, he is, this is part of the great reversal. You know, he's emptied himself of the things that we're striving for, but he's taken the things we don't want. He's taken our blame. This is all a part of God coming down. It's the good news of ascension that God in Christ has come down, emptying himself of everything that we were pining for, authority, uh, you know, and credit. And taking everything we refuse to take, all of our blame. Um, Peter says he took in his body on the tree our sin. Uh, this is this is an amazing descension. Uh, uh, the ascension is really a, a, a celebration of the the fullness of his descension that he has gone to such a low place. Even as Philippians talks about and the Creed talks about, he's gone to such a a place of you know God forsakenness and even. Um, descended into the place of the dead. You know, he's gone. He's gone everywhere where you would need to go. And his ascension is good news for himself, but his ascension is good news for you too because he's descended into the lowest place. And I wish I could see your faces tonight. One of the most difficult things is I can't see who's responding and going, ah, oh, that sounds too good to be true. And I can't see who's thinking, yeah, this is good. Preach it. And I can't see who's going, this is just going over my head because I'm, I'm wounded right now. I'm hurting right now. I hope you can hear it. You who are going, I, what, what difference does this church holiday really make? It's more than a church holiday. It's the gospel that God has not stayed safely up in heaven where he deserved to be, where he had every right to be, but he's emptied himself and he's come to where you are and he's come to the place that's even lower than where you are. Um, he has been to death. He has been to suffering. He's been to betrayal. He's been to abuse. The ascension of Jesus is good news because it presupposes the descension of Jesus. That's the first point. The second point is this. Uh, ascension is a redefinition of, of power. It's a redefinition of power. I want you to think of the disciples when when uh, Jesus was just about to ascend into heaven, the disciples pulled Jesus aside and they said, hey, master, Lord, is, is now the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And this is just about the time that I would do the facepalm emoji, you know, on, on uh, Facebook and go, they still do not get it. Oh, my goodness. I'd look up at the father and I'd say, are we really going to leave this movement with these yahoos? And God would say, we can trust. You know why we can trust? Because I know what's coming 10 days later. 
I know what's coming 10 days later. The person of the Holy Spirit is going to turn these yahoos into a, into a Trinitarian movement that is going to go to every nook and cranny. And I'm going to, I'm going to shine through their weakness. Our glory is going to shine through their cross-bearing. And, uh, and, uh, and our, uh, our name's going to be great. The agenda is going to happen. But I want you to think about how the disciples before Acts 1-5 would have read Psalm 47. We call that hermeneutics. It's the, it's the you know, art and science of interpretation. How are we going to interpret the Bible? And the disciples were living under a hermeneutic. They were living under a interpretive keys that, that thought that God's main you know, goal, God's main agenda was the restoration of something old a repristination, a renewal of an old movement, of an old throne, of something that was stale, of leftovers, a reheating of leftovers. And so I want you to listen with those years, with those confused years, looking back, when Psalm 47 says, clap your hands, all you people, shout to God with loud songs of joy. Good, we're all together. For the Lord, the most high is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Yeah, show the whole earth, this earth that is you know, uh, rebellious and always against Israel. Show the whole earth that you are in charge. And then wouldn't you love this if you were those disciples? God has subdued people under us and nations under our feet. You think of how they were listening, how they were hearing Psalm 47 in their old hermeneutic. How is God going to subdue all people under our feet? Well, maybe he could be like David and use a stone to knock down the Philistine. Or maybe he could be like Samson and use, uh, you know, God-given strength to knock down the walls. Or maybe he could be like, you know, any of the other movements that wanted to, to accomplish its goal through power, through some kind of military might, or through some kind of act of violence, where we could really show the nations how important we are and how strong our God is. And what a difference a verse makes from Acts 1, 5 to later when Jesus says, and you will receive power. Oh, man, I bet the disciples were excited to hear that. But it's a different kind of power. But you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit is given to you. And you will be my warriors. You will be my, you'll be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What he didn't tell them is the way you're going to get to the ends of the earth is people are going to chase you there. People are going to persecute you towards the ends of the earth. This is such a different hermeneutic. It's such a different interpretive key for understanding Psalm 47. And it changes everything when you think, how is God going to subdue the nations under his feet? Is he going to use a sword? Is he going to use the military? Is he going to use, uh, you know, nuclear armament? Is he going to use uh, our loud voices? Is he going to use a crusade? Is he going to use uh, the, the Inquisition? No. How is God going to subdue all people under, their, under his feet? He's going to do it through persuasion. He's going to do it because knees are going to bow. He's not going to force every knee to bow and every tongue confess now. One day he will. But now he does it by persuasion. Now he does it by gospel persuasion, which is so different than weapon power. He does it through gospel persuasion. The gospel does this. It says, come, come, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. 
uh, and I will give you rest for your souls. Um, it, it invites, it invites the weary in. It invites the leper in. It invites the, the person who's been found out, you know, in their sin. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus says. He persuades with the gospel. Is the gospel so sweet? And, and this is, this is the Psalm 47 ascension redefinition really of power that it's not weapon power, but gospel persuasion. It really says something about how we're going to use our power now too. We're so tempted church right now. I know we're all probably in different states and we're watching different governors and our, our, our um, president and other local leaders. And we think, oh man, I feel like it's spent, I spent all day Saturday looking at what other churches were doing and what our local leaders were saying, what our uh, federal and state leaders were saying about what are we going to do as a church? And it's so tempting for me to grasp. It's so tempting for me to go to the place of power um, and, and to want to control things. Um, and I don't believe it's wrong for us to lift our voices and to speak up when there's, when there's uh, you know, our, when our voice is needed. But in many ways, I believe we're so also called to re- remember that this is a foreign language for the Christian uh, you know, owning our own rights and demanding our own rights is a real, it really should be like speaking another language because our, our Jesus, the one that we follow, the one who's ascended into heaven lived like this. He didn't live like this. He lived like this, a death that he freely accepted. Um, a, a Jesus who doesn't say, Lord, if it's possible, but who says, but your, not my will, but yours be done. Our use of power. What will we be known as in this next season, friends? It's oh, it's election season. Are you so excited for election season? I'm not. I'm not. What are we going to be known as? Are we going to be known as a voting block? That's what the world, our America knows Christians right now as a voting block. Some of that is because of our own fault, but some is because it's the image that's given to us. Maybe maybe we are a voting block, but I hope that's not what we're known as. I hope that's not what our witness is. That we're just one other, you know, special interest group who's wanting its own rights. Um, we're, we're more than a voting block. We're the community of the ascended king. We're the community of Jesus, our ascended king, who's sitting on a throne, whose election is not insecure whose election is secure as God's own son um, and who sits and reigns on that throne. The third and, uh, and final point tonight is that the ascension means looking ahead instead of looking backwards, looking ahead instead of looking backwards. Man, if I look back at the history of Mount Carmel, it makes me excited. I can get very nostalgic when I think not only of the experiences we've had at Mount Carmel in the past, but the leaders faithful leaders, I tell you what, I mean, without exception, the leaders I have related to at Mount Carmel are are worthy of honor, and I really do honor them. I so appreciate the leadership, uh, recent leadership, and I appreciate historic leadership at Mount Carmel. You look and go, man, what a rich place that God has given servants that he's given uh, over the years. And I, but you know what? I look now and I go, God, there's good days ahead. There are good days ahead, and what could be more strategic in the in the strategy of the Spirit 
to raise up and, and strengthen a place where gospel community is rooted and where families enter into the joy of that gospel community. Man, there are good days ahead for Mount Carmel. And I don't just say that from an institutional standpoint. I say that from a faith perspective. Uh, that because there's such an alignment in Mount Carmel's mission with, I believe, the, the, the mission of God on earth, um, I just see bright, bright days ahead. When I bless Mount Carmel, it's not hard for me to conjure up a thought of a verdant future, of a, of a rich future. There are good days ahead, and there's good days ahead even this summer. I was thinking about sometimes maybe I had the impression Growing up, that ascension was almost like Jesus' retirement, you know. Ascension was kind of like Jesus moving to Arizona or Florida or to Palm Springs, you know, and being able to take a break after such a long, you know, grueling couple years down on earth, you know, and got a pat on the back and a nice pension from the Father, and he could enter into a joyful retirement in heaven. That is not ascension, at least not according to the Scripture not according to Hebrews and not according to Psalm 47 and not according to Acts and not according to Ephesians. Man, if you look at what Jesus is doing now, he is doing the most joyful work in the entire universe. He doesn't see through a cloud dimly like we do. He sees clearly. He sees the end as from the beginning. There's never a day that Jesus wakes up worried. In fact, he doesn't sleep or slumber. He's so refreshed in the work that that he is doing along with the Father and the Holy Spirit now. The ascension is not Jesus' retirement plan. He's not up in heaven looking at a slideshow of his greatest hits. Uh, this is what his disciples were looking for. They were looking for a time when you could renew all the old things, you know, repristination, a renewal of the past. They wanted to, uh, they, they maybe would have worn hats. I think they would have been blue hats, but they would have said, make Israel great again, mega. Uh, and uh, they, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus is not sitting on a lazy boy, but he's actively reigning. He's actively ru ruling on what we call his eschatological throne. His, it's not just the end times, but the new creation throne that uh, belongs to Jesus. And his, his kingdom has not gone away from earth when Jesus ascended into heaven. His kingdom has actually gone into all the earth. So Psalm 47 is actually fulfilled. Uh, it, it says at the end of Psalm 47, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. Think of that. The kings, the nations, they gather as if they were Israel itself. They are the new Israel. They are the chosen people. God's chosenness has, has exploded in his ascension into the whole earth. His throne is not just in Jerusalem. His throne is in heaven. Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. Where is the house that we'll build? The temple of God is not made with human hands or stones, but it's made with living stones. You and me. God is at work building his kingdom and it hasn't left the earth. It's gone everywhere on the earth. The ascension is not Jesus' retirement plan. The ascension is his active, his active reign and rule, his kingdom rule in my life, in your life. Now, Paul says to the Ephesians in 4 verse 10, the one who descended, 
is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. This is purpose language. Why did he descend? Why did he ascend? So that he might fill all things. How does he do it? He does it by reigning and ruling on his throne. Ascension reorients us from looking back like the disciples did to the glory days of old, to looking ahead. The greatest hits are yet to come. We're not going back to Egypt. We're not going back to the Passover. We're not going back to the time of the kings, King David. We're not going back to the book of Acts. We're not going back to Martin Luther's days. We're not going back uh, to the 1950s, leave it to Beaver. We're not going back to when the Bible Institute movement was multiplying and growing. We're not going back to pre-COVID days. A lot of us are thinking, if we could just get back to how things were three months ago, we're not going back there. Jesus is not taking us back to three months ago or to any other season of glory days that are in your mind. You can give thanks for them, but you're not going to go back there. We're going ahead because we're going with Jesus. We're connected with him in our baptism. We were baptized into his death and into his resurrection. Paul could have kept going and said, we're also baptized into his ascension. Paul actually did in Ephesians. Don't you know that he is seated with God, with God in heavenly places? We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. In our baptism, we were actually ascended as well. We have our place with Jesus, and he has his place with us. I always like to say that in the ascension, we have flesh and blood representation in the highest and holiest place in the cosmos through Jesus. He's not just a spirit, a ghost. He is flesh and blood. And we have representation, one who fully sympathizes with all of our problems because he's been to the lowest place. And he prays for us. It says now he intercedes for us. But not only that, he's poured out his spirit. And this is my final point, which is Pentecost. He's poured out his spirit richly on you, richly on me. So in the ascension, we have flesh and blood representation in the highest and holiest place in the cosmos. But at Pentecost, God has spirit-filled representation in every nook and cranny on this earth, including where you're at including in the dark place where you are, including in your neighborhood, including at your dinner table, including in the place you wouldn't choose, but you're there right now anyway. God has poured his spirit out on you that you might be spirit-filled, flesh and blood representation of God's reign and rule where you are. Kingdom people, a primary identity, not one that just looks back in nostalgia, but one that looks ahead in hope. And in faith, Pentecost reorients us. In fact, this is the end of Peter's Pentecost sermon. We'll probably hear it this coming Sunday. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, that's his ascension, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus received from the Father the Spirit. It says he has poured out this spirit, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jesus didn't hoard. He never did. He just like he received the spirit from the father and poured out the spirit on us, his church, which is why we are rightfully called body of Christ. And you are the body of Christ, spirit filled, 
And it comes through faith. It comes through faith. We need these 10 days now. We're right in the middle of them. Couldn't be a better time to reorient. Another word that the Bible uses for reorientation is repentance. It's really this turning, this reorientation. And Pentecost does this too. The church is afraid. The church is inside, uh, probably in the upper room. They were gathered together, it says in Acts chapter 2. But what happens when the Spirit of God comes? They get released. Not only the Spirit released, but the church is released. They go from inward thinking, they go out. They actually go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to wherever you are and to wherever I am. This is the move of the Spirit. You are the move of the Spirit. You are movement. And uh, so ascension moves us from looking back to looking forward. Pentecost moves us from looking inward. Don't we need this? Some of you might be Lutherans who are watching. I know probably not all of you. But most Lutherans I know, myself included, are tempted to mostly look back and mostly look in. How do we protect what we have? How do we live in some kind of defensive way or, or survival kind of way in this culture? Listen, you're free. You're free from that. You're free to look forward because Jesus is lead, leading us. We're Jesus movement. And we're also free to look out because there's a world that needs good news. And you are a good news person because you've received it. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this word. And I thank you that you reign and you rule. And I want to respond. And I pray that you give us hearts that could respond to you right now. Um, where, we, where we are tempted to just look back. Uh, where we're tempted to just look back at uh, some season of glory days. Help us to give thanks for those days. There's no, there's no use trying to just forget those days. That would be foolish. Help us to remember and give thanks for the past. We have a godly heritage. The lines have fallen for us in, in good places. We could say it. Great is thy faithfulness. Thank you, God, for the past. And thank you for the past of Mount Carmel. Thank you for every word, every seed that was planted in young and old alike people that heard the gospel for a new way and believed it in a new way, people that were called into a variety of vocations, empowered by your spirit. Just a million ways, God, that you have moved on those, on those holy ground, on, that, on those sacred grounds. But God, I believe there's good days ahead for your church, and I believe there's good days ahead for Mount Carmel because I believe that you are ascended and not as an absence, but in a way for you to be present through the ministry of your spirit wherever we are. Lord, I pray that we would sense, even tonight, um, even though we're distant by technology, we'd sense that you are close at hand, that you still are saying the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus, we thank you for your kingdom and life in your kingdom. Jesus, we thank you for your death and your resurrection in your ascension, and the pouring out of your spirit. We pray even now, the simple prayer that the church has prayed, come, Holy Spirit. Come, set us free, not just to look back, but to look forward. Not just to be defensive, but to look out in a sacrificial way at our neighbors and our neighborhoods and the nations. You love God with love undying, because you are risen from the dead. 
through Jesus Christ our Lord.